Christmas. Our scripture reading is taken from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We, see, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of God. Thanks, God. Thanks Celine. Merry Christmas to all of you. And once again, thank you so much for joining us. If you can have your Bibles open to Matthew 2 as we go through it, that would be great. But could I pray for us that God will speak to us? Lord, we give you great praise and thanks that your word is living and active. We thank you that you've sent your son, Jesus, to be the flesh uh, who lived among us. And we pray now that these words that are recorded in the scripture will become to us living words, spoken words to us, that it might change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. These magi came from afar, um, probably as far as Babylon, 800 kilometers away from Jerusalem. And they came to Jerusalem and they asked Herod, where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw the star, we saw his star, it rose and we've come to worship him. What they are saying, of course, is that they're lost. (laughs) I don't know if you have heard this joke about uh, what if the Magi had been women instead of men? Yeah, um, if you, if you, in case you haven't heard it, this is how it goes. If they had been women, they would have first asked for directions and wouldn't have gotten lost. They would have then arrived on time. And then they would have helped to deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made casseroles, and brought practical gifts instead of gold and ins- I mean, things that are actually that they needed. Well, who knows? Uh, we don't actually know a lot about what these magi are, like what they were like, um, who they were. We sometimes call them um, 
as three kings or wise men, but we don't even know how many kings there were. We say that there were three kings because they brought three gifts, gold, incense, and uh, myrrh. But, um, but we're not sure. I mean, it, it, it could have been two. It could have been one. It, well, it can't be one. There's more than one. Uh, but it could have been as many as five, six, seven. Who knows? But actually, in this story, there are three kings. Not the three magi, but three kings nonetheless. In this story, there is the magi, sometimes called three kings. But there's King Herod. There's also King Jesus. And we're going to talk about these three kings. First, King Herod. That these, um, these wise men came to King Herod because Herod was the king over Israel at the time. And that wasn't a good thing for the Jews because King Herod was only a half-Jew. He was biracial. And he, uh, and he also converted into Judaism. Um, but because he was biracial, he, he, he always felt that his power to be threatened by a real Jewish king to come. And so he did many, many bad things to retain his power. He executed his wife that he loved, Mariamne, and he killed his sons, not just one, but a, a, a couple to maintain his power. Emperor Augustus uh, joked that it was preferable to be Herod's pig than his son. Historian Josephus writes that he was so concerned that no one would mourn his death that he ordered a large group of distinguished men uh, to come to Jericho, and he gave orders that they too would be killed at the time of his death. So there, there would be some sort of crying and some sort of mourning at the time of his death. And as you know, in Matthew 2, he orders killing of babies in Bethlehem, all babies under the age of two. Given the size of that town, it was probably maybe 20 to 30 babies. It wasn't a huge town, but he massacres um, these uh, babies. He did whatever to maintain his power. You see, there were perks to his power. He wanted his power for many different reasons. He was known for his huge palace in Jerusalem, and he built a palace in Judea as well. The recently discovered Herodium, the winter palace, is known for, his, for its extravagance. It has a racetrack. It has service quarters. It actually has a swimming pool twice the size of Olympic swimming pool. He also built Masada. How many of you have been to Masada? Oh, no. We should, yeah, a handful of you. We should go there because it's an impressive place. It actually has one of the first sort of modern air conditioning built in. The way that they've built in, the cool air comes and, and the hot air goes out. It's an engineering feat and it's got a stunning view of the Dead Sea. It was a grand life for me, in many respects. So see how King Herod reacts to the news of Jesus' coming. In verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. He was disturbed. He, a disturbed King Herod wasn't a good news for the rest of the city, is it? Because, uh, you know, when my dad's in a bad mood, um, it's bad news for the entire family. <laughs> yep. And the bad disturbed king was a bad news for the entire, uh, the entire city. So King Herod was disturbed and the entire Jerusalem with him because he was a terrible king. 
Well, why was he disturbed? He was disturbed because he was the king. He was the king over Israel. In Israel, no one could tell him what to do. He lived his life the way that he wanted. He was the king over, not only over Israel, but over his life. He did whatever he wanted. He lived by his own rules. But now, he hears that the king of the Jews, the promised Messiah, has been born. He, he knows what he's up against, right? Because he calls the teachers of the law and asks where the Messiah. Messiah is the Christ, the promised king. God's king is going to be born. He knows what this is about. He knows that the true king is going to come. Messiah means a savior, God's promised king. And he knows that if this king truly comes, is here, that he cannot be king over his own life. He cannot be king over Israel. So he's disturbed. And he wants to kill Jesus because he has no room for the true king. You know what? I hope... This in some ways resonates with you because it's not just about, this isn't a story about a historical figure because this is in all of us, isn't there? Even if you're a Christian, you know that there is a King Herod in you because each day we struggle, don't we, to go, should I obey Christ? Should I live his way? Should I live my way? Should I obey King Jesus or this little voice that's in me? We want to be king over our lives. And if you're not yet a Christian, I'm sure that there's a King Herod in you as well. Many of you think that you are truly open to Christianity, but one of the reasons why you might not have come to Christ yet, you might not have given over your life to Christ yet, is because you don't want to give up your own life. You don't want to give up the way that you are living right now. Because you know that Jesus, if Jesus is truly the king, you have to change the way that you live. Thomas Nagel is a philosopher who for a long time taught philosophy at uh, New York University. He wrote a book called Last Word in which he makes this astonishing confession about his life. I am talking about the fear of religion itself. I'm speaking from experience, being strongly subject to this fear myself. I want atheism to be true. And I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God. And naturally, I hope that my belief is right. I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be God. I don't want the universe to be like that. My guess is that this cosmic authority problem is not rare. Did you hear what he said? I hope there is no God. He doesn't want there to be God because he doesn't want someone else to dictate how he lives. His honesty is refreshing. But maybe we ought to listen to that and, and examine our lives. What is the reason we don't want to make space for King Jesus? Is it really lack of evidence? Is it really lack of whatever? Is it that you don't want to make space for the king who has come? Is it a cosmic authority problem? There is King Herod, but there is another kind of king here, isn't there? The Magi. We see people quite different uh, here in these three kings or the Magi who have come. 
Well, these Magi's weren't really kings. Um, they've been interpreted as kings um, because of verses like Isaiah 63. The nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. So when these nations, when, when these people have come from afar to come, it's been interpreted as kings sometimes. But the term magi referred probably to the priestly caste of a Persian religion, religion called Zoroastrianism. And as part of their religion, they studied the stars, and they had developed an international reputation for astrology. But these people from the comforts of their homes, from whatever they were worshiping before, when they saw the star, they set off on a long journey. They went 800 kilometers, and think about what they must have gone through. They went through deserts. They went through storms. They went through hunger. They went through being, you know, danger of being a foreigner. And wild animals, at the end, they met Herod, who was a treacherous king. They went and set off because they knew, actually, even as they worshipped their own religion, when they saw this star, that there was something more, that they should go and find out what this thing was and take a look at what they see, what they find at the end of their journey in verse 2. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. I'm sorry, they left in search of someone to worship, to bow down. And, you know, people are worshiping all over the world, worshiping whatever. There is an instinct in us to worship because there is instinct in us to to find something that's greater than ourselves. There is instinct in us to find God in all of us. It's in our, in our human nature, and that's what's behind, I think, the celebrity culture. We don't our, want our celebrities to be just like us. We want to idolize them. We want them to be different uh, from us. This is why people say you don't want to meet your own heroes, because when you do, you'll be disappointed, right? But there is an instinct in us to blow them up, lionize them, and idolize them. And it's not just the people that we worship. We've been worshiping mountains, rivers, ancestors for ages. It's because there is an instinct in all of us to worship. It's because we know that this life is more than this life, than than what we see. There is something greater than ourselves that we are geared towards. Uh, One of my... uh, one of my sort of uh, flaws, big flaws in life, uh, if I am less productive than I could be, it's because I love watching TV. <laughs> and I've been, uh, you know, it's, Netflix is not a good thing. Uh, I've been binge-watching uh, a show called The Good Wife. <laughs> um, and it's not a show that I particularly would recommend. <laughs> It's a show about a lawyer and her husband who becomes a state attorney and then the governor of Illinois. And what I see in that show, every episode, is that people are treacherous. They backstab and they money grab and power grab. They do whatever they can to grab power, usually, and money, the things that they want. You know, they have everything, and what they say, say constantly in the show is when they get there, they go, ah, why doesn't this not ever end? Because it, it, it just, they always grab for more. They want more. It's entertaining enough, but the thought that always comes to my mind when I watch this uh, show is, don't they realize 
that there is more to this life than money and power. Don't they realize there is much more to this life and than what they are searching for? Don't they realize once, that once they get it, they will search for more. They will want more. I can't help but think that they are like animals who have no higher purpose and no more meaning. You see, these magi searched for more. They saw a star appear and they staked their life to find the one to worship because they knew that there was more to that life than what they had. Friends, this is true for all of us. There is more to this world than meets the eyes. And if you're visiting today because it's Christmas and this is something that you do, please take a look at the Magi. Please take a look at your life and what it's searching for. You know that there is a greater cause for which you are born. You know that there is a greater being for whom you are made. And see what happens to the Magi when they arrive at that house, when they see Jesus after they heard, verse 9, the king. They went on their way, and the stars they had seen when it rose ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They were overjoyed. They bowed before Christ and they worshipped him. All that they had hoped to find, they found in this baby. And that joy isn't mere pleasure, but experience of transcendence, experience of seeing the eternity. That Magi, after time of intense searching, found the very person that gives their life meaning. Actually, not just give their life meaning, but makes meaning possible. They laid down, they laid down their gifts and worshipped him. You know, I've said that we are searching and we are made to worship, but we're not meant to just worship anything. We're not meant to worship. It was right that they didn't worship Mary. It was right that they didn't bow down to the star. They bowed before Christ because that is their maker. We are made to worship the living God. We are made to worship God. So look into Jesus. Look into this baby. So as we end, I want to talk about the third king in the story, the king, Jesus, and what kind of a person he is. You know, many people are content worshiping anything. Um, People have all sorts of ideas about God, and many love saying that you can believe whatever about God. Partly this is because I think religion has caused so much sorrow in this world, so much violence and wars. Um, there are, uh, so people say, there is probably a God, but we don't really know what God is like, so you believe whatever you believe, uh, as long as it doesn't hurt others and makes you a good person. That seems to be the, the, the attitude of many, many people. I went to um, Ubud, um, Bali, recently, uh, three weeks ago, four weeks ago. And that city was uh, fa- made famous by Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, and Love, which, once again, like the, uh, the TV show I recommended, is a terrible book. <laughs> um, but she writes in that book, 
I have good idea for if you meet a person from different religion, if he wants to make an argument about God, my idea is you listen to everything this man says about God, never argue about God with him. The best thing to say is I agree with you. Then you go home and pray what you want. That's what she's saying. She's saying it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they say about God. It doesn't really matter what you believe about God. Just go home and pray what you believe. Pray to a God that you believe in. So people reject God who punishes sin, does not tolerate idolatry, destroys evildoers. And they often do this by justifying their idolatry. Ah, it's, 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 it's not bad living for whatever. Redefining sin. I don't agree with the Bible on this and this. Just throwing out the whole idea of God. I don't believe in God at all. But if there is a God and he has revealed himself, isn't it important to find out who he is and what he has said about himself? And this is what I want to say in this Christmas season. God has made himself knowable. God revealed himself. God revealed himself through prophets of old, right? Um, But most definitively, 2,000 years ago, he came. He became flesh. He became this baby. He lived and he showed us how to live and he taught. He taught us what, what, what we are to be like, what God is to be like. Word became flesh and he became noble. And that, that's what Christmas means. That actually there is no more mystery about who God is because God has made himself noble in Christ Jesus. If you want to know who God is, we are directed to history, to the events of the past. You see, Jesus is rooted, his teaching is rooted in history. It's not a result of mystical experience. It's not a best of human philosophy and thoughts. There is evidence to who Jesus is and what he taught. He became a person. And this is what the uh, Magi had seen. This is what the early believers testified, that they have seen him, that they have touched him, and they want to tell you about God who became a man. This is also great news because that God became a person, because it means that God truly is a wonderful counselor, uh, a God who knows what we are going through. He's not behind the gates of his palace. He became one of us, and so he can sympathize with us. You know, in this Christmas season, I don't know what you're going through. You might be going through all sorts of different things, but if you've been so poor, you know, Jesus knows what you feel like. If you've been hungry, Jesus has been hungry as well. If you've ever been, um, if you've ever been sick, um, Jesus knows what that feels like. If you've ever been at, at the death's door, Jesus knows because he became a human being and he was at the death's door. He died. Have you ever been betrayed by your family or friends, people who were close to you? Jesus knows what that feels like because he too had been betrayed. The best counselors are those who have gone through your experience and who can talk you through out, through that, 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 that experience. 
Jesus is that counselor. That God became a human being means good news for us, for you, because Jesus knows what you have gone through. He's a wonderful counselor. But the main reason I want to talk about why God became a baby is not so that he could tell us about him, not so that he could sympathize with us. The main reason, the astonishing fact of Christmas, that God became a human being, the reason behind that is that he became killable. In his heavenly throne, where he commanded the stars, earth and universe into existence and sustained it, in the, in the heavenly throne where he's surrounded by the heavenly angels, in his transcendence, he cannot be touched by evil. He cannot be hurt with God the Father with him. He could not die. He could not be sacrificed. Have you ever seen Queen Elizabeth? I've never seen Queen Elizabeth. Uh, Four years in London, never seen her. Queen Elizabeth lives in the palace and seldom comes out of that palace. And when she comes out, to the rest of the world. Um, She seldom comes out to the rest of the world because the world is dangerous. It's not a place where the queen should go around mixing with the commoners. She could be hurt at any, any point. And when she comes out, she comes out with the detail of security because this world is a dangerous place. But this God came to live in this world. And not only in this world, this God became a baby. He came to live in flesh of a baby. And when he did so, when he was born 2,000 years ago, he became vulnerable. He had to be fed. He had to be changed. He was open to all sorts of dangers in this world. But not only that, he became a baby. He became a man so that he could be killed. You see, his birth... From the very beginning, his birth was defined by his death. Jesus himself says that the reason why he came was that he, so he could be killed. He says that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but he became a human being 2,000 years ago, so he could be whipped. So he could be beaten that he could be spat on and ultimately so that his flesh could be pierced, that he could be nailed so that his heart could stop beating so that his life and his death could pay for our sins. That's why he became a baby, so he could die for our sins. King Herod would have never done that. Most of us would never do this, even for the people that we love. So, would you think about what kind of a king we have in Jesus? If you're King Herod tonight, satisfied with what you have and what your life is, make room for this king. He's a good king. And as you come to him, your life will change for the better. He came to serve you. He came to save you. He came to die for you. And if you're like the Magi, the one who are searching, this is great news for you because God became knowable. God became searchable 
Don't think about the philosophy, or the, uh, but think about history. This babe who was born 2,000 years ago is your God, is the one whom your heart has been restless for. And if you're a Christian this Christmas, I just hope that you are amazed at what God has done for you. And no matter what your situation is, how dark your situation is, that you would still rejoice because God became a baby for us. He came to save us, to die for us. What an amazing God we serve. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. And while I pray, if I could ask the choir to come, let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much for the amazing gift of Christmas, that you left your home, you sent your son, Jesus, to live amongst us, not only to live amongst us, to take on our flesh, that he could die for us, that he could sacrifice, he could be sacrificed for us. And in this Christmas season, we pray that we'll reflect on that good news. And for those of us who are searching, we pray that they'll make room, we will make room for the King Jesus and turn to him and to have the joy of knowing him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.